Lace up your boots and grab your mouth guards. It's time for the Rugby Wrap, the podcast about all things Western Force, global rapid rugby and the game we love. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Rugby Wrap. Good to have you with us. And again, thanks to the telecomshop.com for coming on board as our headset sponsor. So if you need any phone systems, head to the telecomshop.com. My name is Mick Collis and joining me as always is former Wallaby Mitch Hardy. Mitch, good to see you. Nice to be back again, Mickey. Middle of We're getting towards the middle of June, mate, halfway through the year, and we're getting closer and closer to the kickoff of uh, the rugby season, which is great. Yeah, it certainly is. And a man who once owned a pet kangaroo, it's Western Force hooker Heath Tessman. And Tess, nice to catch up. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't own the kangaroo. I think the kangaroo really owned me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's good to see. Now, mate, last week, Chris Heiberg enjoyed tea time with Tess, and, and out of his, he's allergic to asparagus, played the flute at school, and was denied entry to Australia. What was the lie? What do you guys think? Well, I wouldn't let him into the country. So. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I reckon that was a truth that he wasn't allowed yeah, so that, in the country. Yeah, probably I think is I voted. Yeah. It, is, yeah, it is a truth, and don't worry, I've alerted the proper authorities for it. <laughs> but, uh, no, it was, it was his allergy to asparagus as well. He uh, is a liar. Sorry. So he, um, he played the flute at school. He was denied entry to the country as well. His allergy to asparagus is a big, dirty, great big False. lie. Well, there you go. Good bit of smoke and mirrors there by Tess this time around. It was, it was. clever. Not so obvious. <laughs> and well there, there'll be another tea time with Tess later on in the show. Well, Japan captured the rugby public's imagination when they defeated the Springboks in the 2015 World Cup. And they did a tremendous job hosting the 2019 version of the sports premier event where they became everyone's second favourite team. It's a region where rugby appears to be growing at a steady pace. Now, Nick Stiles is a former Wallaby who's coached the Force and the Reds, and he's currently the head coach of the Kintetsu Liners in Japan, and he joins us now. Nick, thanks for your time on the Rugby Wrap. Oh, mighty Mick Collis, mate. Fantastic to uh, to get an invitation. Only, what, 13 episodes in, but, mate, I feel very honoured. Lucky number 13. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, mate, where's the Japanese season at? Uh, in hiatus at the moment. Um, listen, from a from a selfish perspective, we were lucky with our competition. We we were finished at the end of January, so uh, we we got we got in before uh, COVID really kicked off. Uh, whereas the top league competition was only I think six rounds in, and uh, they ended up suspending that suspending that initially, and then uh, ultimately calling it off. So uh, off season now. It's been a nice five months break so far. I hope we will get back to Japan soon. So the so your so the Kintetsu Liners are in the second division. Yeah, yeah. So that so they don't run at the same time as the Premier League. It's they're two completely separate comps. No, normally they do, Mick. Um, uh, but with the with the World Cup being on last year, it really threw things out of whack totally. Um, all all the competitions kicked off at different times, and it was a bit uh, a bit broken. But uh, we, we were lucky because we got through, and we you know we had a really good season, won, won the competition, and we're looking forward to uh, playing up in the top league next year. So it's, so it's promotion relegation is the way it works yeah. in Japan. <laughs> How long have we got here? But, uh, <laughs> uh, normally it is, but with the with the uh, season starting at a different time, because of the World Cup, they ended up uh, talking about having a competition next year where everyone's in it. So there's a feel-good thing for everyone. Um, but they actually haven't uh, defined what that competition is yet. So we're still waiting. So, so you're not sure when, when you actually start? No, I can give you a start date, January 16th, but I can't tell you what the format of the competition is yet. One of the formats that was bandied about, Styles, he was they were going to align the teams to capital cities or sort of regional centres and get away with the corporate names. Has that, has that still got momentum? 
Oh, listen, there's still talk of the professional league going going ahead um, in 2022. Uh, I think you, you go down that um, cutting the corporate side of things at your own peril. Um, mm. You're probably going to look at times like now where where COVID's come in. Most sporting organisations around the world are under pressure financially. Uh, the Japanese rugby union, because you are propped up by corporates, um, is still really strong and safe and will go ahead. So uh, I think they they brush that corporate side of things at their own peril. Stars, with a, it was a hugely successful World Cup last year then over there. Having such a big gap before we get some rugby again in Japan, are they, are they missing the boat a little bit? Are they missing a good opportunity to really capitalise on that? Yeah, de- definitely they are, mate. Like, I don't know if you got over there a test. I definitely saw uh, Collis on, on a junket over there as he as he's I was, wor- uh, I was working hard. <laughs> you weren't working hard when I saw you, Mick. So uh, anyway, uh, it, it is a long time in between because the momentum that was built out of that World Cup was huge. Like we were playing games uh, through December and January with twenty thousand people watching us. Um, and then when the top league kicked in, I reckon their average crowd numbers would have been higher than super rugby crowd numbers. You know, it, it helps when you've got a population of 120 odd million, but uh, the, the interest was definitely there and it's a, it is, is now a long break. Um, but they were trying to align that January start date just to help the national team out um, a bit better with the flow of going from a top league competition, a bit like we do with super rugby, we go super rugby into an international season. Um, that's what they were trying to do with the with the national side moving forward. And, and where does rugby sit in terms of the most popular sports in Japan? Uh, well, Mick, uh, it's soccer and baseball are the big ones, you know, and they they will always be the big ones. They're the traditional sports in Japan. Um, they got massive following, and I think that's where that the the talk for the Japanese. Professional league, you know, it's it's professional anyway. But the, the talk for that professional league coming into play came about from what they did with the Japanese uh, soccer and baseball competitions. Initially, they were corporate uh, team team run um, sports, and then they took them professional. But I just think the support they have in Japan for soccer and and, um, and baseball is much bigger than rugby. So I uh, hope they don't go down that path. But uh, I reckon it sits sits below those two sports, to be honest. You know, no one knows how to catch a train in Japan better than yourself, Styles. You're, you're like a local up there. Culturally, it's a very different place. What's it like to coach up there? What are the big differences between coaching in Australia and coaching up in Japan? Oh, listen, uh, uh, first of the players do what they're told. Uh, you know, technically, you know, <laughs> Tess would be absolutely no good in Japan. He does <laughs> not He's a perfect suited for it. <laughs> anything. Like, you haven't done anything you've ever been told. But uh, no, probably the cultural the biggest things is is the uh, amount of times, amount of time it takes to make decisions. Sometimes you know you sort of uh, culturally, you know, you've got to respect how things go up the chain, and and that takes a, a long time sometimes, and it, it can be a bit frustrating when normally you just you know you want to make quick decisions. So that that's probably one of the biggest things. Do the corporations have much say in the, in the running of the team or are you pretty much left to your own devices? Oh, well, we're a separate arm um, of the corporation, but still, you know, you feed up into, um, you know, a, a president of the companies. You still sit under under him and um, and you've got vice presidents and then you've got general managers and heads of rugby programs. So there's a long food chain um, in terms of organisational structure, definitely. 
the staff of the corporations, are they fans of the rugby team? Do they have to be fans of the rugby team or is it just kind of <laughs> something that runs along? I think you're a fan and you, or you get sacked. But no, one, one of the things that with Japan, like what you've got to understand is that um, most of the population, they'll, they'll go to school, they'll go to university and they'll come out of university and they'll go and work for an organisation. And generally they'll stay with that company for the rest of their life. You know, there's, there's, there's a bit more chopping and changing now than what they used to be uh, years ago, but they still were very loyal and stay with that company. So I think how they sell the company sports is that uh, by having some teams and they have multiple sports, you know, it's not just rugby that they have, um, that they give their employees something to cheer for and follow and, and have some pride in the company. And the big thing, obviously, for Australian players is to go up there for the coin. What's the average salary for a rugby player in Japan? Oh, Mick, it, it, it totally varies. You've got Dan Carter, uh, who was just spent the last couple of years there and was rumoured he was on a couple of million dollars. So, you know, that's that's top end, obviously. Um, and it comes down to guys that, you know, super rugby standard players. I don't know, a couple hundred thousand, who knows? We obviously want to keep the best players here in Australia. Do you want them in Japan? Of course we do. I'm coaching Japan, so you're going to try and take uh, the best players that you can get. Um, you're competitive and you want to win and the organisations want to win, so you're, you're always looking for that quality. And I think that's probably um, that's the danger for Australian teams at the moment is that um, it's not just your top end talent. So you, you know we've got Will Will Genier and Quade Cooper at the club. It's um, you know they're the, your top end wallabies. But now you're looking at your younger players that are non cap because you you are limited with how many players you can have on field at once. Uh, sorry, foreigners. And um, at the moment, it's five foreigners on on field, and and of those five, two can be capped. So international players, whether that's sevens, fifteens. Um, but then the other three have got to be non-cap. So now teams are really looking at the quality of football they bring over as a non-cap footballer. So you've only got you've got five uh, foreign players in your in your squad, or have you got more than? No, more no. Than... So you've got five on the match day fifteen on on field. Then you've got one more, a six player on the bench, um, and then in your squad, you, you know some some squads could have fifteen to twenty foreigners, but. If you have too many foreigners, like considering you can only have five on field at once, yeah, it's just a waste of money. So most teams will operate 10 to 15. So what do those guys do that aren't in the match day? Oh, they just train. Do they? <laughs> yeah. Standard and, and it, it's like different. Professional trainers. Professional trainers, a bit like Tess. You know, I haven't seen him on a rugby field <laughs> for a while. So, so um, I'm looking forward to, to seeing you. Must get, it up, mustn't get Rafford Rugby up there. I thought we were going through Asia. <laughs> no, no, yeah, not Japan, mate. That's next. Um, uh, um, I lost my train of thought there. So what did you say, Mick? I was just asking you about how good Heath Tessman was as a player. Yeah. And you said what? young, uncapped players. Yeah. Un- <laughs> young, uncapped players, yeah. No, no, so, yeah, so that's why you don't want to have too many because you, you can't have that many. You can only have five of your 15 start on the field as foreigners. So it's a waste of, waste of money having too many. Yeah, okay. We talked about we want to keep players here. If from, from our point of view, what does Australian rugby need to offer to stop players going to Japan? And places like that. Oh, listen, it's hard, isn't it? You know, I think um, you said it yourself. A lot, a lot of the players, um, you know, the reality is they do go to Japan for money. They go to Europe for money. They go to France for money. So that's that's always going to be there. So um, you know, then it comes down to you know Australian rugby keeping players through the you know the lure of playing for the Wallabies. Um, 
and you know, I think what they're doing at the moment in trying to sign guys up on longer term deals, um, theoretically, is a is a great idea. But they can go as this, couldn't they, Stolzi? Where you know the Japan season doesn't quite overlap with the Aussie season. If our domestic comp went a little bit later in the to, into the true traditional rugby season, potentially your Aussie players could bridge the two, couldn't they? Totally, Mitch, and, and that's um, like look at our team. We, we've got uh, Ryan Lowndes, who's uh, who's a halfback, and he played for us the last two seasons. And um, former West, of course, you guys would all know, yeah, former yeah. Western Force right. player, yeah. um, fantastic football. And got so bigger then, guns than Tess. <laughs> have you always improved? Have you always got bigger Tess? Because I've got a bigger, Rhino, bigger gut than him. Rhino's ripped <laughs> up. <laughs> He's very ripped up. But yeah, Mitch. So he then went and played Super Rugby after our season. So I think that opportunities like that are, are, are great uh, ways to keep players in Australia and just depending on I think once you know it was getting harder because Super Rugby was going to be at the same time as the Japanese season but I think you know you from reading the papers it sounds like there's going to be a bit of a change in in the international rugby season and that could be something that I know teams will, will look at moving forward. Yeah and with a shorter domestic comp over here if they could do do this five team thing and and potentially that's the future of provincial rugby for Australia then that in turn supports rugby Australia's objective keeping their best players here because it allows that flexibility for guys to earn a few bucks overseas and not break in the rugby Australia bank which we all know is very broken at the moment so it allows them to come up with some financial models for those blokes to which they can get the coin, but they also can still play for the Wallabies and, and play at the top level. So I think it's got a lot of merit, as long as the Japanese teams are, are obviously flexible with, with allowing those players to come and go and, and almost be FIFO six months on, six months off. Yeah, they are, Mitch. This is my second stint in Japan. My first one was back um, 2007 after I coached uh, Tess at... Back in the UQ days, uh, I went over and had uh, nearly four seasons at Kubota in Tokyo. And, and back then, the foreigners, they were signed for a 12-month period. Uh, but probably, you know, since since that time to now, they are a bit like FIFA. You know, they, um, you'd be, some of your players will come in, they'll just do your super rugby season, they'll fly over to Japan and do a top league season. So um, that's changed a lot. And the clubs in Japan are, are prepared to do that now, as whereas 10 years ago, they weren't. Um, and you now that's why you look at the club at Contexu. We've got a you know we've got a partnership with the Melbourne Rebels, and, and to be honest, that was always a, a vision I had um, that you could see the benefit of sharing players through those partnerships. So we had players like Ryan go to Melbourne and then come back to us, and and as you said, you're saving money, and then you're also keeping players in Australia rather than Europe. Yeah, nice. And we heard about that last week, Mick uh, and Heath with the Bay of Plenty relationship with the China Lions so, and how that's working for them. So there's, um, there's, there's good potential relationships here. What about on the coaching front, Stolze? You've got, a, you've got about an eight-month off pre-season ahead of you here. Like, what are you, what are you doing at the moment coaching-wise to keep you busy and interested? Uh, he's, just, he's, just down at, he's just down at Red Hill filming Quaid doing the NFL throws, isn't he? That's what you're doing right now. Tinky <laughs> <laughs> Tinky was saying the yen's very kind to you and he's built a tennis court and a swimming pool in his little place at Dubbo thanks to the yen. <laughs> so obviously, um, yeah, so coaching-wise for you, what's what's on the front there? What keeps you busy? Where's your aspirations at? Yeah, Mitch, I was actually meant to uh, meant to have been back in Japan um, start of April, um, or mid-April, sorry, we were meant to go back, but that was really at the height of COVID kicking in. 
and, and all the border restrictions being shut. And um, I think I was due to fly out on a Monday and the Japanese borders got shut down overnight, basically on the Tuesday. So that stopped me from getting over there. So um, we, like a, you know, a lot of organisations, have you know, set up a really good platform online and um, it's given you a chance to really look at your game, uh, look at reflect on last year, uh, look at current trends, how can we, we can be better. And we've done a lot of work online, but you're at the point now where you're keen, <laughs> keen to get back on field. It's been five months and, and uh, haven't coached, so I'm pretty desperate to get back on the field, to be honest. And would you look to come back to Australia at some point and uh, do a bit more coaching back yeah, in, yeah. on home soil? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate about Australian rugby. I think, um, you know, I had a lot of discussions with, with Scotty Johnson um, about possibly coming back for a role with the Wallabies. Um, at the end of the end of the day, whatever happened, we stayed in Japan, and and you know we're pretty thankful at the moment, to be honest, that mm. that we did. Um, it doesn't mean that in the future I don't want to head back to Australia. I think there's a you know there's a real real upside in the country, even though it's going through some really tough times now. I think rugby wise, uh, once we get a realigned and, and some new competitions, I think there'll be um, a bright future. You know, in a few years' time. What was the general feeling up there when the Sunwolves got cut from Super Rugby? Everyone disappointed or? Oh, listen, Mick, probably, probably not. Like it's, you know, they're disappointed that they're not there, but the timing of it just wasn't good for Japanese rugby with the top league. You know, the top league's the priority over there and, and so it should be. Um, so really the Japan teams, the corporate sides embracing the Sunwolves, you know, they supported them, but they weren't passionate about it. Mm. Uh, whereas it's a little bit like in Australia, you know, we want to see some more games, what's coming up, you know, the Australian derby games. And I think it's the same in Japan that they love to see the corporate teams playing each other. You know, they do love seeing their national side take on the world and the Japanese, a lot of pride around their Japanese side. But the Sun Wolves um, still well supported, but not as passionate as um, what you probably expect. Now, we talked about rugby trying to hang on to players. The reports have been coming out about a young kid from the King's School who's been offered $2 million over four years to play with the Bunnies. What do you think, I'll throw that to all of you, about signing young kids to that sort of money for that length of time? Russell's got a movie coming out or something, has he? He's got to get a bit of cash on the way through. (laughs) Mate, because the kid's been offered $2 million. Take it, take it, go get it, go play rugby league, do what you need to do, but... You don't play it out in the papers. I mean, publicising that and highlighting it doesn't do anyone any good. It just shows, you know, a simple case of, you know, great. The young kid's going to earn too many bucks over four years. Good luck to him. Just let it go. We, I mean, people get so bogged down to worrying about, oh, we're going to lose his talent. And, oh, you know, he's been offered all this money. Well, so be it. Rugby, rugby's not in a position to keep kids like that. If, if he can earn too many bucks, good luck to him. And the thing is, it, like the, uh, rugby was trotting out the reasons why he should stay with the, you know, the Lions and the Sevens and the, and the World Cup. But he could come back as an 18-year-old and with two million bucks in his pocket and still play three World Cups. He could, buy, he could buy Rugby Australia out for that. <laughs> <laughs> I think sometimes too, but we're, we're like rugby cops are a bit of criticism about losing these players. I know it happened in Queensland a bit like... Where you know there was your Kalen Pongers and and Brody Crofts and a, a real um, sewer and you know a lot of, a lot of guys came through around the same time. They're very good footballers and and we cop criticism criticism saying we lost these rugby players, but the reality is that they were actually league players to start mm. with. 
um, the league the league clubs do a good job of placing these footballers into you know in Brisbane in Queensland into the GPS system in particular. And so yes, they play rugby for a couple of years, but the reality is they're a rugby league background, so it's hard to keep those guys. Yeah. yeah. And the news has just come out that Foxtel and Rugby Australia have finally got a deal. So it looks like this competition will go ahead. So Tess, that's nice confirmation for you that it's actually going to happen. Yeah. And I mean, all the boys, that's what we've been working towards pretty much through this whole ice, like this whole Corona period into, into the last month or so of training. Um, so it's just nice to have it actually officially ticked off. And, we still um, don't have a draw though, do we Tess? Have you got a draw yet? Uh, I think it's coming. It's coming out of the next draw. 24 hours, isn't it? <laughs> So when did the focus, I think, I think we, when did you focus as, as a group sort of turn towards that competition in, in reality? Obviously, it's been talked about for a little bit, but when as a group did you get really excited about this could be happening? I think we, we've done a good job of kind of building our way in towards it. So during the, um, during the isolation period when everyone had to be basically at home, we were kind of put into the little groups and everyone was given an assignment of basically each, each of the other super rugby teams to kind of review, have a look at. So if it did come to the point where we were going to be playing in this competition, then we'd have a bit of a base of knowledge that we could, okay, pull out the file this week, have a look at this is the work we've done and this is what we've seen. Hopefully we'll be able to see some games that they've played and see this is still pairing up. They've changed it here. So during the early parts of the isolation period, like we were, we really keyed in probably from a mental point of view, just being able to look at them and, and analyse them down. And then it's probably been managed well in that the last, the first couple of weeks back at training that we've had has just been more about getting ourselves back right and ready to play whatever comes. Like, obviously we know there was a pretty good opportunity for us and there's a good chance for us to be part of this competition, but it was kind of out of our control. It was, you know, people higher up the ladder that were going to be making the decisions. So it was just our... Our plan was just to be ready when when the uh, when the green light came on, and now that you know, that green lines, you know, green lights shining pretty brightly for us, and we're ready, we'll, we'll be ready to go. We'll be kicking into probably that next next gear over the next month or so as we get ready for that. Um, I believe the draw hasn't been well. The draw's been released. Brumbies Rebels is the first game. That's what I read on Twitter this afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you guys got the week off, yeah. first week off. We've got the week, yeah, we got oh, the first. Oh, you need it. We got the you need it. Yeah. <laughs> you better take yourself back <laughs> down right. south. Yeah, it gives us an extra week of holiday. <laughs> uh, well, I think, I think, and that was part, I think we were fortunate that was factored into us being able to, I think we started, say, three days later than most of the other Super Rugby teams. And that was with that vibe probably coming in that first round. Unfortunately for us, it lines up well with us having the buy, then we can kind of go into a hub over there on the East Coast play a good majority of our games over a few weeks before coming back to, to WA. And Stiles, you've, you've obviously coached, you've played in Australia, you've coached in Australia, now you're sort of on the outside looking in. What, what's your ideal competition, you know, for 2021 and beyond for Australia? Yeah, like, it hurts you to say it because, you know, I play, played in Super Rugby, you know, Mitch was the same, um, and you loved it. Like, the, 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 you know, the touring, going to South Africa, New Zealand, the, the venues got to play at the opposition. It was, it was fantastic, but I just think, unfortunately, at the moment, that um, there's just a genuine lack of interest for it in Australia from a fan. Um, the time zone, once uh, Argentina came into it as well, it just I think we just lost track of of who the teams are playing, and you, you didn't get to see as a Reds fan. Like I remember as a kid, you grew up as a kid, you know, watching games at Ballymore or watching them 
the New Zealand, and, and that's how you, you know you fell in love as a as a fan with the with the personalities and the players of the time. And I just think, unfortunately, at the moment that you know your 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 diehard fan doesn't see the team play enough um, live or on TV. So I, I really like the. I know financially it might be a bit difficult, but I really like the what they're doing at the moment around the um, playing the local conferences. Then, then, you know, once travel restrictions get removed, you'd like to see them play a conference system and then see a, a crossover, whether it was the top couple of sides going into playoff, who knows. But I, I just think doing that and then also embracing Japanese rugby as well um, gives you a really good entry point into Asia. Something like a European Champion Cup or something like that, yeah, like the definitely. Heineken used to be? Yeah, definitely, Tess. Um, you know, I, th- I, th- I think, you know, you saw how popular and and uh, how much the Japanese fans really embraced the World Cup. And I think if you got to a point where you had a competition in Japan, that the top few teams went into, a, you know, a Heineken Cup or whatever against New Zealand, Australia and South African sides, um, or there'd be massive interest for it over there. And I think it's a real growth market for for rugby. Yeah, and it's going to be very niche. It can't just drag on for months and months and months. It's got to be very niche, short, sharp, get people interested, um, have the everything on the line for it. But, you know, the domestic comp is where Australia rugby needs to go back to, in my mind, at the moment, and just get that sorted and down pat and then uh, start to explore then how do we get our best players playing against the other best players of the other of the other countries. So, yeah, and th- you know, the test window and whatever happens, that test window is going to be one as well. Stylesy, law changes. We don't want to go down the rugby league path. We don't want to drop players no. off. What's uh, what's your take on the the law changes that have been bandied about at the moment? Oh, listen, you know, it's, it's a thing close to my heart. There's a scrum, you know, and we don't want to go down the league path where you know the scrums are a waste of time. I think that's obviously it, it's a great thing about rugby. You know, caters to every body shape and size. You know, tests. Tess and I would have been in trouble, you know, we wouldn't have had a position to play if the scrums weren't around. So um, we've got to be careful with what we do change around the scrum, but the time that's wasted, you know, I'm a scrum coach as well, you know, the time that's wasted um, getting set and packing and repacking and ball in and out, look, it's scary. Um, you know, you watch some of the old games and you know, the games evolve so much more from those days, Mitch, when we played. But you see how quick the scrum is. There was a race to get set. There was a race to be the first down, um, get down low, engage, ball in, ball out. You know, um, whereas now the stoppage time at that scrum time's got to change drastically. Um, um, so that would be somehow where we keep an in, a contest, but also reduce that ball waste. So, so putting the, the stopwatch on the scrums is one one easy outcome. Do you think? Well, yeah, it's it's, it's it's I don't know if it's easy. You know, there was meant to be. Didn't we try that in NRC a couple of years ago? Test that you had to be set. You know, scrum had to be set within a certain time. And yeah, to I be honest, I don't, I don't think it changed things too much. The flip side of that, I guess, is that you can go with the like the water polo rules that you'd know, Mick. We could go down the path of the, the clock stops. Balls out of play, clock stops. But I guess that doesn't take out the resets on TV. That doesn't speed it up for the spectator. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the other issue. I think Eddie Jones has come out with some really good points around, um, you know, the fatigue and, and trying to get teams that are fatigued rather going down that path where, you know, we're stopping the clock and it does become like an NFL sort of game where, you know, there's so much dead time. Yes, the ball in play will be more, but the, the length of game actually extends out. So I think that's something we've got to be careful with. Um, the the other one, and it's a, it's the laws are there already, but the the offside law is just not policed properly, 
at the breakdown uh, and how we can increase that that space for teams to attack with, especially now with the the line speed teams have in, in defense. It's a rush defense, it, and if you if you're getting the jump as a defensive side, um, it just makes it that much harder to attack. So really enforcing that offside line, I think, um, is a real starting point. Well, the other thing that's sort of been lost as an art form is, and it's come back through through the lineouts, is the maul. So you'd very rarely see anyone mauling um, in general play anymore off rucks. Like you, you only ever see a maul off a lineout. You don't see it any other time mm-hmm. in a game. And you know, is there is there scope to bring back more mauling where the team going forward gets the ball back? You know, if it, if a maul collapses, the team going forward gets the feed. You do a quick restart and away you go, or you get a short arm if someone collapses. So. I mean, that's the other scope because that will suck in players. And and when they change those those laws about the team going forward is when the defensive, the more focus was brought on defensive lines and you had more defenders in the line. So you've got to try and work out a way to change the laws to take defenders out of that defensive line mm. to create the space. Yeah, you know, yeah, any other definitely. laws? I'm just any other laws? Any other laws? Yeah, no, the mini malls in the back line. So that's <laughs> the thing. We're doing a bit of that yeah. through the World Cup. We're setting up the mini malls and... And little pop plays off it like the like the old days. Mitch Hardy could have been yeah, running yeah, keep, off that tight under the ball alive. Yeah, yeah, keep the ball alive. Keep the little ball skills. Multitasking, Heath. Yeah. Multitasking. <laughs> they need to do something. Well, speaking of multitasking, there's there's no segment more popular on the rugby wrap than tea time with Tess. And Tess, who have we got this week? Um, oh, this week we've got. We've got our tight head. I'm making my way through the front rowers, really. They're, they're the slowest to get away when I pull out the, the <laughs> notebook with my questions in the recorder. Uh, we've got Kieran Longbottom, fresh fresh off a, a nice big run and, a, and a, a swim session. So, Styles, you'll be happy to know he's training hard. All right, let's take a listen to Kieran Longbottom having tea time with Tess. Uh, hello, ladies and gentlemen, then, and welcome again to Tea Time with Tess. Here I have the one. The only, he is your tight head, Kieran Longbottom. Welcome, Kieran. G'day, mate. How you doing? Mate, I'm very well. What are you, uh, what are you sipping on there? Oh, oh well, it's, uh, it's the evening. Uh, we've finished training, so, you know, a bit of, bit of chamomile tea just to, oh, like... Oh, good, just to calm. Just to calm everything down, settle everything down, be ready, you know. Oh, that's perfect. I have a, chamom- to the night, yeah. I have a chamomile every, every night before bed. I put it in my daughter's tea, you know, milk as well, just to try and settle her down, but... That's a very weak tea. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, she's, she's only... She's not three yet, so yeah. we're building, we're building. Yeah. <laughs> um, mate, thank you very much, and we're, we're all pretty excited to have you on this week. Um... You're a homegrown WA boy. Would you mind giving all the listeners out there a little bit of a background on how you know how you got to be where you are right now? Um, all right, so we'll try to the quick version, eh? Uh, oh, don't cut anything okay. good out. There's okay. some good stuff. Yeah, sure. Well, if you all miss right. it, I'll pick it up. All right, so I um, uh, obviously born and raised here. Uh, played uh, First played uh, rugby back in year eight at high school um, and then for All Saints College. Then I uh, quite enjoyed that. So the next year went down to Rockingham Rugby Union Club, uh, football club. And uh, so played from there from, from, well, that was year nine. So that was 99. Um, and yeah, we'll still play there essentially to, the, to this point in time when I when I do. Um, so played when there do. when I do, when, when you do. Um, you, you know how things are. Ah, mm. uh, yeah. Um, and then uh, post, I uh, managed to play uh, two, two years of schoolboy rugby and made uh, the combined states both years. The second year... Got sort of uh, like the, the, after that post, that tap on the shoulder, three of us saying, uh, you guys want to go over and play 
uh, rugby in Queensland. Oh, so yes. At, at, the, uh, at the, the heavies. The mighty the, heavies. That was our first experience together, wasn't it? I actually, I'm not even joking, man. I don't remember. <laughs> I, I, was, I was just trying to be nice then. I just remember there were three loose West Australian kids yeah. came over to play. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was quite fun living in share houses of like eight people at a time and around people from around the world and yeah so we had um yeah we had, we had a really good time then and shout out to the heavies yep heavies heavies uh and then after that so the super rugby uh landed here in perth and that that year that was when it, that was when it got official and so i came back after that and then spent a year um running around for colorslow because rugby had been um oh. downgraded down to the uh the div two comp so i played a, a season for colorslow we made the final um do you we, feel dirty saying that now Nah, it was, it was good fun. It was alright. And that's, that, the best thing about it was we had like, I think it was about seven guys. Seven guys came up from Rocky and, uh, you know, and we made... All went together. We, we all went up together and we made a really, really strong team. We had a great run that year. We had a, we had a really, really good time. Um, yeah. And like, I mean, we just, we ju- I think we, we just fell short versus a, a West Subiaco team, which had like some absolute uh, legends in it. Like, I think they had half the Perth Cold team at the time <laughs> and that was their third year in a row. They, uh, they basically did the, uh, yeah, they did the three-peat. They did so the that was set up. After yeah. that, we lead in. After that. So, um, back down to Rocky, uh, because uh, we, uh, they got let back in and then joining the academy. So the academy started, well, jumping the first year of the academy. Uh, rolled through that, did like about two years of that there, then got the apprenticeship with the force, uh, got about halfway through that year, and I remember, I think it was a, an uh, Angus Scott had like a, he had an mm-hmm. injury he couldn't get over, and so... Big bull prop. Yeah, yeah, man, he was, he was good, big quiet lad, but um, no, he was a very, very, very nice guy I got along with, um, and so he unfortunately had to, uh, had to finish up, and then that opened the door for me. Um, got through that year, that year, um, played I think three games my first year, and then maybe two or three in the second, and three in the next, and then managed to sort of uh, either be on the bench or start post that for. Because yeah, that that was back when we were talking about this this morning. That was back when you only had the one prop. Yeah, yeah. On the was. bench, we weren't we yeah. didn't carry fifteen front rows. Yeah. Was... Yeah. So you have to know you have to know both sides, and then throughout the uh, throughout the week you have to learn both roles as well. And someone's playing eighty minutes. As yeah. Well, uh, well I think my, uh, my my first cap was when uh, so Pet Cowan was starting at Loosehead, and then he's gone down with a uh, he's done something to his thumb he like broke and dislocated his thumb out the out the thing Ugh. but that was about 12 minutes in the game oh that's so then, yeah so my first game so I played I played for Rocky the week before and then I've come in to uh, play versus the uh, the Chiefs um, and I started like 12 or so minutes in or something like that and maybe I'm maybe my memory is exaggerating it but then yeah I went played about 65 minutes in my first game and was absolutely cooked but we managed to win that game good um, that was fantastic I think I, uh, I think my, from my memory I think I tackled uh, Luaki remember the big number 8 yes yeah, the only Luaki oh man he was massive we, I remember that we kicked the ball down oh, and we had the chase man. line and I just he guarantee just... he saw me <laughs> but, <laughs> but I got him down so I was proud of that we didn't see the baby face because oh. I mean, you've had that facial hair since you were 12 anyway. no, no 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 not at all like, I'm trying to be clean shaven for a long time and now it's just laziness you know, you put the ring on. <laughs> um, we love you, Brigitte. Yeah, yeah, absolutely love you, babe. Uh, yeah, so played out. So yeah, fears so with the force. Fears with the force. Uh, things are going quite well. Then, um, uh, but I, I definitely, I, I wasn't feeling like I was getting a look in into the sort of wallabies. I was mm-hmm. getting like my name sort of here and there, but wasn't really getting the opportunity. So 
then an opportunity to go over to England came that up. International number go, calls up. Exactly. Hey. Go to a, and and what club is it? It's Saracens and mm. everything about Saracens. Um, uh, you know, it's just to, as a club you want to go to. It's uh, it's it's one of those ones. So and they've got that. Australia's got the plus six one for their international co, but Saris just have the pound. <laughs> when someone calls you Sarah's it's the pound and the number pound sign no, man, I, I can't really comment on that no. all I know is that there are a bunch of great people there yeah. they they generally took care of me even after all the uh, damage I put them through so yeah I, I got the call to go there um, apparently if I hadn't signed I was going to get selected for the Wallabies or like oh, well thanks for telling me Cool. It would have been nice to yeah. know about a couple of months before that. <laughs> um, so yeah, anyway, but I went there and then was playing quite well. First, uh, played five games uh, to start with and was apparently about to get picked for England because I was, I'm, 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 I'm English qualified after five games and then I did my foot and then my foot kept me out for like two years. Mm. Um, but I was thinking, Saris, once, uh, Saris took care of me. They got me the surgeries, they got me the fusion stuff because I, I, could, I could barely walk, let alone run. But then they got rid of me because they were like, you know, we don't know if you're going to be all right. Yeah. Uh, then I went to a sale shark. Sale. Yeah, he comes sale. Steve Diamond picked me up on what he thought was a steal, and uh, but I missed two years of rugby and just completely forgot how to scrum, and so I didn't. I did not have the Please. best year up there. I, I worked my ass off. I blame uh, that fluoro yellow kit at sale that they made you guys wear. <laughs> just, no one can be successful in that kit. Yeah. Apparently, they've done studies that like uh, things like that. Um, the opposition you're able to see them better and so there's like maybe there's like is either less line breaks or you were like, set up to fail or soccer team so yeah but I um I, I generally did my I worked, worked my butt off up there to try and get better and better but I had injury injury like try and come out of the thing and then injury at the end of the season and then Steve Diamond wasn't too happy with me <laughs> with how I played and um yeah uh, but so he wanted to get rid of me and then Saracens came along and picked me back up Yep. Um, so got to move back down to Saracens and have uh, another year there. And there was a time during this period as well when you, you were sure you weren't sure if you were going to be able to pull the boots on again, were you? Yeah. No, I, I honestly didn't think I was going to keep playing. Like uh, my foot was was so rubbish, and I kept getting like uh, injury after injury from the imbalances that I picked up after two years of hobbling uh, on my on my foot. Mm. Um, so yeah, like the fact that I was able to get another get another gig and actually be feeling right, and then when I got back to Saris there, they um, I, I had an injury uh, hangover from from sale, like a hammy thing, and I was I was running up at sale, and I got back to Saris at like, and they saw me and they said, "You're not running for the next five six weeks because we're going to get this thing right, and then you're going to be sweet." But I'd, do it I'd already run a fitness test up at sale. <laughs> I trained all. Oh, no. I trained all break. I, I had three days off and then went back and went trained all break to get get everything right. Got into sale there, ran fitness test on the first day, beat all like the uh, tight forwards in the in the fitness test because I man, I went hard. And then the next day they wanted me to do like contact, the second day of preseason. Yeah, and I managed to like get to the uh, managed to talk to the physio and kick me out. But then then after that. And when to get rid of me, so yeah. yeah, they were trying to send me off to like the mountains in France, and that wouldn't have been too great. Might might have been Oyonnax, but I was uh, say, well, that sounds might, delightful. Yeah, it, it, no, 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 but that, but that thing like, <laughs> but the missus couldn't wouldn't be able to work there, and oh, then we'd yeah. be separated, and yeah, things would not have been great at no. all. Brigitte would have been really happy with the move to a non-English speaking country. Yeah, where she can't, where she's not allowed to work yeah. and continue what she's doing. So yeah. Um, yeah, well, I want to say. So we get a call. So, so, so back, back, back to Saris for you. Saris, yeah, back to Saris. Um, I'd always wanted to come back to uh, come back to Perth 
And uh, so I was, I was at Sarri's and I was at, able to get back to playing well. They got me back to playing well. They gave me confidence again. Um, and and then post that, uh, hearing about uh, Western Force launching back up and chatting to chatting to Hojo and obviously showing knowing that I wanted to come back and you know Western Force is my home and and where I wanted to finish up so signed a uh, signed a bit of paper to come back and yeah and then you've seen me running around for the past three four years on and off a couple of little injuries going on but apart from that feeling really good and yeah ready to uh ready to keep kicking on Hojo's made some pretty important phone calls over the last couple of years but no, I reckon that's the best one he's made Tuggy I like that I like that I might <laughs> I might keep that bit of recording <laughs> alright so you know we've, we've spoken about coming through the academy the debut things like that what's been your your favourite experience with the force over the years um well there's a, there's a few but there actually might be it might be one of my first in, like, in my third game we were playing the Brumbies, and it's 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 one of those it's it's one of those moments that you actually like you think I think about it now like holy moly that was a moment. So we were playing the Brums, and it was my third game. And after 20 minutes, uh, I think yeah, it was a, it was the, the t- starting tight head. He wasn't having a great day, great game, and uh, and they, they pulled him off. They um, but the Brums have already scored four tries on us. Four trials on us in the first like twenty. This minutes. is one of your best. Okay, this is one of your no, best. No, 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 cool. no, no, no. Trust me, trust yeah. me. This, this works out well. Sounds like a horror story so no, far. Don't worry about it. Mate. It, was, it, it was actually awesome. <laughs> but so I, we get on the field. I get on the field, and then I'm. I could feel it. You could have the feeling. We all felt it. That like we're, we've got this. We're in this. We've got this. Um, we we go into half time, and we are like I don't know. We're X amount of points down. We might have got one try back, but you know we're a bit behind. But we know that we've got it, and we go into the change rooms. And all the coaches come in to chat, and then John Mitchell comes in and just yells, "All the coaches, everyone, get out! You guys got yourself into this mess. You guys got to get yourself out." <laughs> and we were a few, and like obviously me, I was standing a bit like stunned, up, like what? <laughs> and then they were gone out, and then Sharpie's just taking the uh, taking the reins and going like, "Don't worry about that. We know we got this. Let's go breaking other things. We know what we can do." And we came back and we won that game. We oh, we won the game. And that was oh yeah, like that's a little, little bit of goosebumps there. Mm. And that was my third game, and just to be able to like be part of that, to experience that sort of uh, firstly that bit that leadership there. Um, you can actually when you're actually growing up, you know you you have your captains, but then those there's captains and then there's captains, you know. And then that was that moment when you realise that this is someone that you'll follow um, in, into anywhere. And then we we managed to get out there. We won that game. And it ended up being it was the last game of the season, and we were able to really, really enjoy it. So, yeah, that was a. Uh, that was, was not a bad spot to finish up. No, no, we were here, man. I was here. We were here. We were at home. Even we were, better. We were at Suvi. We were at oh. Suvi. Yeah, so we were playing at Suvi, and uh, yeah, it was uh, it was absolutely unreal. Like, just I don't know. There's there's definitely a lot uh, a lot of other ones, but just thinking about that 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 comes to mind, and that's that's like an oldie, and especially I think the reason why it is such a. You know, a memory that is imprinted in my brain is it's one of those first ones you know it's yeah. one of those my, like my third game my first my th- one of my first experiences of being super rugby and then experiencing like how intense it can be and then how amazing it can be so yeah. I think that's I think that's why I think yeah that's, that's the one that comes to mind it's a uh, yeah that's yeah, cool beautiful um, okay so what about we're, we're going to be coming up we're going to be um, heading over to the east cub uh, east coast sorry not the East Cub. <laughs> We're heading to the East Coast. We're going to be going into our hub. Um, we get our key for our room. You drag your drag your suitcase there. You open the door. 
staying at our nice resort over there, hopefully. <laughs> and <laughs> you open the door, who do you see sitting on the bed there? And you're just like, yes, this is going to be good. This is going to be a good little tour. It'll probably be you oh, in, in, in our current group, I'll tell you that. Um, I think had some great mates over the years. Uh, you know, and managed to room with a few of them. Don't worry about that. Let's go back to me. Yeah, we do. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. No, nah, no. Was, it, Over the years, it yeah. Was great banter. Um, like uh, me and me and Cam Shepherd are still good mates to this day. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had, uh, I think, we, we had a trip over to Sydney, and we were staying in. Um, we're staying. No, look, they, we're going. We're going. We're going. These guys. Who? There's thirty of us in our team. Oh, in our, oh, in our team. I thought it was favourite. No, no, we're not of all, all time. time. Not oh, all time. sorry. Yeah, who do you yeah. want to? Who do you want to see there besides me? Oh, gee. Oh, okay. Uh, might be Ferg. He's good. For, he's good for a laugh. <laughs> I'd probably just. I'd probably it'd be just, a nice, light-hearted room. Yeah, it'd just. It'd just almost be a study in what sort of behaviour that man gets <laughs> up to. You know, I'd, I'd take a notepad and pen and sort of jot down the things he does on the daily and try and figure it out. Like what's uh, what has led to this point in time of why he does the things he does and I, why he yeah. says the thing he says. I, I, I yeah, still, I can understand that entirely. I think my the first year he spent with us, I was just happy. When he'd drive in every yeah, day, he made it. He made it back. <laughs> he survived the night. He's got. It. He's, he's here. here. He's here. And every day, he'd drive away. I'd be like, I could be. Oh, here. Wow. See you, mate. Good luck. Good luck out there in the big wide world. <laughs> um, okay, well, you open the door. You got your, you've got your suitcase in your hand. Who do you see on your bed? And the shoulders just slump. Uh, and you're like, oh no, I don't know about this. this is going to be a long two weeks. Oh, who? I don't know. That's the thing. I don't. I, I don't want to remember people. People are throwing you under the bus here. Okay. So I, I know I'm going to get thrown under the bus, and I know my flaws, but, but they, they're gone. <laughs> they're supposed to be gone now. Um, who, who who would it be? Uh, I don't know. I'll say I'll say Yogi. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because like, as apart from like, I, I think I think I sort of figured out. Whereas whereas Ferg's still an enigma. I've kind of figured out Yogi, but the point about I figured it out is that nothing's ever going to change. Is that he's locked in his way of moving, talking, thinking, and they're not, and it's not going to change. So yeah. he's going to be one of those roomies that sits on his phone the whole time while he's trying yeah. to watch something on yeah, TV. Exactly. Yeah. It's not going to go into the hallway. I tell you, he's going to walk. He's going. He's, he's going to take control of the TV cha um, of changer of the remote control. And, and then he's going to talk on the phone. No, and but he's going to choose all those like picking shows where they pick like stuff out, or like or, or they go to the auctions and stuff like that. Like, oh, that's that's a deal. That's a good deal. Nah, he should he shouldn't pay that much for that. Yeah. Then that's that's what it'll be nonstop. And then on the phone talking, be like, oh yeah 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 yeah. Oh no nah, no, nah, we'll do this. We'll do that. Yeah yeah. <laughs> tell oh, him nah, he's dreaming. Nah, tell, tell him he's dreaming. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So this this one this next question we you can go current group you can go previous you can go both as well if you want but who's a teammate that you've really admired that you really look up to you really respect like you obviously mentioned Sharpie mm. and most of us in Australian rugby know what his capabilities are as a leader and a captain yeah um, who else and they don't have to be they can be you know one of the younger boys they can be anything wow um, oh come on um, well yeah like okay, old I mean I spent a few years playing with David Pocock Yep. Um, and I, I'm, I'm happy to be able to call him a friend. But, you know, every day he'd come in and you'd see the things he did. And it, that's the thing. It was basically just, that, that was inspiring. Um, you know, see a guy that works so hard and is so committed to his craft. Um, yeah. yeah, like, it's, you, you see those things there. Um, like, we've also been talking about, like, you know, the Jordan documentaries and stuff and that, the ability and that, like, strive for perfection and that, that, that drive to actually 
get better every single day and commit 100 percent and that's that's someone who just uh who just epitomizes that and you see it and you're like Whoa, you know how do, I, how do i become more like that and mm. part of you sort of crumbles a bit when you're like i can't <laughs> yeah <laughs> but nah, nah, genuine legend uh what about so if, if uh you're picking the team this week you'd have to play you have to play at tight head what position would you be playing Okay, if I don't have to play at tight head, no. Well, oh. you can, if you can play any position you want on the field, where would it be? I'd nah, see, I think I would always, I've always wanted to play a bit of ten, because oh, because I'll tell you this. I see that in your fingers when you're passing the ball. Yeah, Just yeah. The wrist, because, because, I because, because because I like passing the ball. I like I like distributing, but I can never do it in a game because I'm too cooked. Because <laughs> I've scrummed, I've I've hit rocks, I've lifted, I've, I'm dying, and I can I can barely. I, if, if I get a, if I get a pass away, I'm so happy. But you you look around, and you see the ten, and he's bouncing around on his tiptoes, not even worrying yeah, about geez, anything. Ah, nice. oh, that'd just be so nice. Um, I still remember a quote from uh, yeah, like James Stannard, and I mean this just shows. I mean this is just him being fit, not that. Yeah. So he was playing nine, and we we're playing we we're playing in Sydney. We finished the game, and this was back when there was only one uh, one, uh, one, prop, fr- one, one, prop. one front row on the bench. Yep. And I'm just dying. Like, I've played 80 minutes and I'm just heading my hand sort of thing, absolutely cooked. And he's done, he's changed, he's up. And I was like, mate, are you feeling <laughs> tired? He's like, after sevens, I don't get tired in 15 mm. rugby. I don't, 15s rugby doesn't tire me out. And uh, yeah, I've, I've, that was a real depressing moment. <laughs> Wouldn't it just be nice to be able to play a game of rugby in our moulded boots? Oh, yeah, wow. Well. Like, not, I mean, well, not yeah, have to well, wear... That, that, that is true. Yeah. That is true, but I mean, it, that definitely does take away the... The one part part of my game. I mean, yeah, yeah, we probably yeah. wouldn't have a job as exactly. well. Yeah, yeah. But... I like, I like, I like, I like having a job. I like being able to, like, you know, pay for the things that help me live. <laughs> no, that's it. And, sp- and speaking about how you live at home, you got two children. Do you want to talk to the uh, to the listeners about them? Yeah. Uh, so I have I have two lovely children. They are um, they're very cuddly and they're very affectionate. Um, <laughs> Listen to the are, tone in his voice. Yeah, we are. No. So, so we we got one in, got one in England, and we uh, and then we and then we got another one um, in Perth. Um, we, they were they were very very short pregnancies, um, in the fact that we we had options on, and then we just decided and went bang each each time. So one's name is Slinky, and the other one's name is Luna, and they're both standard uh, long hair. Uh, sorry, standard uh, short hair dashhounds. And, um, and it is Dachshund, it's not Dachshund? Well, it's, it's, it's Dachshund if you really want to, like, you know, throw your emphasis on in the German accent. The like, Germans? Yeah. yeah. Dachshund, uh, yeah. But Dachshund, whatever. That's kind of halfway. That, yeah, um, but no, no they're, they're, they're pretty awesome. I do like spending my time with them. They are, uh, they're very funny. And um, no, that's, that, that, that is one of the things I enjoy. You take them down the park, you take them for a walk. And uh, no, that's, that's fantastic. All right, we'll, we'll pump through a few little quick fire questions here then. Um, favorite movie? Oh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Oh, big, big. Yeah, movie. I, 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 I generally love that movie. I just love the how weird it is and like how surreal it is. It's yeah. big Hunter S. Thompson fan. Then. Yeah, yeah. I've read, I've read most of his things. I very, couldn't. Very get, I, the first time I watched that movie, I just didn't get it. I had to turn it off after forty-five <laughs> minutes. It was weirding me out too much. Yeah. Nah, I've, <laughs> I'm, then I read I, the book and I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, no, the book the book's good. I think I, I think I still got it on DVD somewhere. Yeah, I've watched it a fair few times. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well favourite book then as well. I'm guessing it's not gonna be Fear and Loathing as well. Um I, I used to sort of I used to read a lot back in the day 
nowadays I do do a lot of audio books. So mm -hmm. can we, am I allowed to put in an audio book? Yeah, or absolutely. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm now a monstrous Harry Potter fan. Yeah. Huge. Uh, I love like that. Insanely big Harry Potter fan. But I listen to all the audio books um, and uh, yeah, they... Uh, but is, that for, is that just Stephen Fry's voice? It's Steve, well, it's Stephen Fry, but also the story as well. Like, mm. I, I literally, I literally just, just finished Deathly Hallows again for probably, I don't know, the, the 10th time. But yeah, like it's, I really, really enjoy them. Like I'm just currently finishing The Hobbit right now as well. So, yeah. who read, who reads that one? Uh, I, I don't know. Don't know. I can't tell who it is. Like they've just got like you know some voice actors and stuff. And, yeah, that's good. Um, there's some people that they they really try and do the voices way too much. Like oof, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought you were going a bit haggard there with that oof. No, cranky, no. <laughs> cranky. That's, <laughs> that's not haggard at all, is it? That, that's just the beard and the uh, the accent. I definitely picked up a bit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, what about so I know this is this is a big one for you. So see if you can see if you can pin it down to one. But your favourite concert, I know you're a big <sighs> big music buff. Come on, that's uh, okay. Well um I got to see oh, okay. Just say I, art, artist got, concert there, maybe. I've got two, I've got two, I've got two. Okay, so good. I, I got to see um I got to see uh, well when, when Daft Punk toured with their uh, with their pyramid. Oh I'm a massive dance music fan and I have been for a long time. Um, yeah, and when oh. Daft Punk toured with their Pyramid, I think it was back in like 2010 or something like that. Yeah, it was because I was meant the, to go with a girl the, who was who got me tickets and on a date, and she stitched me up and <laughs> left me. Yeah, rough. Um, yeah, but anyway. <laughs> well, I, well, I got to go, and I was a big Daft Punk fan, and like that was just mind blowing. And then there was another one which was um, so when so Skrillex first uh, came out, and um, and we actually got we bumped into them on the plane I've seen that in Brisbane the airport. yeah yeah and like I was such a big fan I like I turned like we're, we're waiting to check our bags in and I've turned around I've seen him walking through the other doors and I've yelled out Sonny <laughs> because his name is actually Sonny Moore and I knew that <laughs> and I knew I knew what his name was that wasn't his stage name and like that was yeah that, it just it was just a reaction um yeah and then but then he played in uh, in Joondalup but then a couple of days later, he played at a, he played a gig. Um, I think it was just a quick gig at a, a Villa nightclub, or I can't remember what his name was, in Northbridge there. And it went, and it was unreal. Like, it was so big, so loud. The sound system there was all time. Uh, um, my yeah, ears hurt just thinking yeah, about no, it. it was. And the real funny thing was, my missus was actually at the gig as well. But she was in the we other didn't side. Know each other yet. We didn't know each other yet. Oh. So we were at the same gig. Yeah, we actually went to so many like so of the same gigs. Serendipitous. But we never, yeah, 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 totally, totally, totally. That was real funny. I mean, I did get to go backstage and meet. Uh, I went, went backstage at uh, uh, Tiesto. We got to meet Calvin Harris, Carl Cox. Um, uh, who else was there that day? Where was this at? Uh, yeah, this, I think this is at um, like a, a, a future music or something oh, like that. Yeah. And a friend of ours, she used to run the, the the concerts, and I'm in the crowd like enjoying it. And she's come through, she's like, I got a gift for you, like what? And so she's direct, like pull me up, pull me backstage. So I'm standing, standing, start a stage for Tiesto when he was at like uh, oh. future music there. Um, that would have been big. That was big. I went to Tiesto three nights in a row at Metro City. Oh, at Metro City, like, because he played here. And then my mate got a sign. Shout out to Kimmy. Shout out to Kimmy, yeah, Kimmy Westwood. <sighs> and he, he got me a signed poster. 
a sign signposted, which I then put in the most ridiculous frame. It's like you know, you know those stupid, you know, like uh, think of like an old English like uh, like like painting that I've done. Those ridiculous gold frames yeah, with like all the stuff hanging gild, off. It. I went gilded straight away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what it was. And uh, but now every time I look at it, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. So he deserves that frame. That's hiding away somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so we moved through. What was your first job when you when you came out of school? Or maybe not even when you came out of school. I mean, my first job was when I was twelve. So, what was your first job? Uh, well, uh, it actually it actually probably was when I came out of school, mm-hmm. and I was lucky. Oh, I was I was a waiter. Yeah, so I I went to TAFE. Those narrow hips just sliding between all <laughs> yeah, the tables. Yeah. And it's good that I don't sweat much like on a hot summer's day. Um, so I was, I was a waiter. Um, I went to I went to TAFE and did food and beverage. So I was a qualified I got a qualified food and beverage uh, like barista. I, I did all, mm-hmm. I did all that. I did I did my wine pairings and stuff. So I did that at TAFE so I could play schoolboy rugby the second year. And uh, yeah, and then I got I got a gig at a, at a cafe up in North Fremantle there. Remember, I ended up. I worked uh, Christmas Day one year, and it was one of those forty-degree Christmas days. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I've got, I've got, you know, who's two, coming in? I've got, I've, I've, I know, I know, I know. Well, it was a lovely meal. I, I, I got to taste it. Was I'm amazing. Sure, yeah. And I had two plates. I, I just remember walking around with two plates on each arm. And at this point in time, I've got like long hair because I grew my hair out mm. to like down to like shoulder length, and my hair goes like ringlets and curly as well. <laughs> but I'm sweating. I'm sweating like anything, and my hair's wet from fringe. sweat. Oh, just trying to flick your fringe out. Of your and eyes. I'm I'm carrying the plates as far away from my body as possible, and like sticking my head back so that when I put them down the table, there's no chance of like any sweat dropping into their food. <laughs> oh yeah. So I, after that day, I knew I wasn't gonna make not it. cut out for I'm the, not gonna, no, I'm not cut out for the this. servicing. I spent probably more time in the fridge that day than yeah. I serving. Like I just keep walking. Maybe in like an old Pat Cash headband or bandana oh, or something like I that. Mean, if I'd known at the time. Yeah. I mean, although although like, doing do, do, tucking like the headband, tucking under that so it like sits up. I mean that's fashion now, but it it's wouldn't cool. have worked. It wouldn't have worked back then. You would have been ahead of your time. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I am. I am like that a bit. Mm. But you know, when you when you keep being ahead of your time, no one. No one sees no it. No one really takes yeah. you for what you are at that yeah, point in yeah, time, do they? Yeah. No one appreciates it. They don't you. take a snapshot and be like, oh, yeah, you were, you were right. Yeah. I appreciate you, Ken. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you. Uh, <laughs> what's your dream job, mate? Oh, damn. Um, dream, dream, dream job. Well, might have been like, yeah, well, back in the day, it probably used to be like, oh, I really did like like dance music. I liked uh, mm-hmm. used to DJ a bit. So I was like, you know, I'd like to go try and be a DJ. Um, nowadays, post footy. I generally, I generally like uh, the coaching and helping people, mm-hmm. and that's like going going back to the yogi stuff. <laughs> like every time I see him in the gym doing something, I kind of partially go over and like help him try and help his form a bit. Yeah, doesn't stick, but it's something that you know it's just it's there yeah. in my head, and I want to like help people progress. So I'm doing sports science um, at, at uni and uh, looking to probably get to a field like that. Um, so yeah, like either like a um, Either either an S and C for for a team or something or um, mm. yeah something along those lines. Nice. So you mentioned like you're you're doing your uni stuff um, away from the field. You're also involved with the the Cupid's yeah, Undie Run charity then as well. Cupid's Undie Run. Yeah, they're a, they're a charity um, that uh, helps kids with a, a neurofibromatosis, um, which is. Uh, a pretty wild disease that I had, I'd never heard of until I started it. So it ends up just being um, all these all these tumors form in the body. Um, they can be cancerous or non-cancerous. So it can either be it can, it can either be within the body or like without the body. Or it can be mm. um, sort of 
quite disfiguring and then if they're within the body they could be um they could be either malignant or cancerous but they almost also could be pressing on something and they could just yeah. grow anywhere and just land anywhere so and with lots of surgeries and lots of scars and um yeah and for young kids going through that and then going back in the hospital and having multiple surgery after surgery after surgery oh. i mean i had i had three or four in a year and i was absolutely over it so and that's yeah. that's as a fully grown adult yeah so um no nah, it's uh I, I got through that through um like family friends of ours they live across the street from my mum and dad and they are absolutely lovely people um but i'm very very happy that they uh that they um, asked me to, to join and uh, it uh, it happens uh, once a year um, it's it's an undie run so you it's down in Fremantle isn't it's it? down in Fremantle it yeah. didn't happen this year obviously for obvious reasons uh, <coughs> um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was stay in, back yeah yeah uh, so but so hope, hopefully next year we'll be back on um, but that's the thing it's actually it's actually more of a social thing because when I because I only got to do it once last year and then obviously this year's going to be a second year yeah. and by the t- when I got down there at like 9 or 10 so it starts at the pub down there and the organisers are already on the, the second beers and because it's it's not a run it's 1.5k like right. around the esplanade so yeah, it's, it's actually like one of the funnest easiest things you can do you come down have a couple of beers have a feed you're sitting in your undies you just um, and then we sh- shook the cans like um, yeah raise a few funds simple it was, yeah, man, it was really good and like they had a great time and I really, really enjoyed it and I really hope that, you know, that what I do I actually so. can help them out a lot. We might so. get a few more few more runners for next year as well. If I really it's, hope uh, so, yeah. yeah. If it's get, the, get your buns out. It's yeah. not, yeah, is it, it's not even running. It's just it's not. for a I, pint I, and a party. I walked. I took, I took Slinky down. Oh, I walked with Slinky. Oh, cause, yeah, he's not getting one and a half K, li- Slinky. Little, nah, he's all right. He's uh, all little, right. Little, uh, cause little, little Saren, so she absolutely loves him. So she actually walked him around. So, oh, beautiful. So while we're on the topic of of pubs in there as well um so we you know we've spoken with with ra this morning mm. and um you know we're still making sure we're still staying the path so we're not we're not going out to pubs and things like that yet but when we are allowed out at a pub what where are you going to go for a pub well where are you going to go for a pub yeah well, i need which, a beer. which pub am i going to go to what, yeah. what pub are you going to go to what beer are you going to drink uh and don't a, talk to me about warm lagers or something like that you've spent Enough time trying to convince me from your time in the UK that you can appreciate a warm ale. There's one. We're in Perth here. Oh, We're in Perth okay. here. You want your beer cold? Yeah. There's. What are you gonna have? There's a. <laughs> well, it's. It, it depends. Um. Actually, no. So it'll, it'll be with the missus. It'll be with Brigida, and we'll either have gone for a, a walk, gone take the dogs for a dog walk around, probably uh, because because we live in uh, in Lath Lane, so probably around uh, either Burswood there, like walk through the bridges or something like that, or something around there, and then go to the um. What's 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 the pub next to like Optus? Cambridge? Uh, no, the no. Um, you know the one I'm talking about. I know the one you're yeah, talking yeah. about. But, uh, yeah, mate. Yeah, maybe, yeah, that one there. Or yep. <laughs> <laughs> really narrowed it down. Everyone, everyone listening will be like, oh, duh. Um, yeah. But either or the Car- probably the Carlisle actually, the Carlisle, because then it would just be. It's a bit of like you know, a bit of a workers' pub. It's just it's just on the other suburb from us. Mm. Went and like it'll be a it'll probably be a Swan Draft. Yeah. I, I do quite like my Swan Draft, and like I think they've got better like in the past few years. And then since I came back, I remember before I went, they weren't that expensive, and now I've come back, <laughs> they're chilling around over fifty bucks a case. All they, the they, cool, they made all the cool kids, all the kids <sighs> down down that live here down in Mozzie Park and Cottesloe like buying it now. So oh, man. they're really done. They're driving up the price for us workers. <sighs> Yeah, no, yeah, well, like that. Yeah, probably, it'll be, be a swan draft. Nice swanny. I was, I was thinking about that the other day, and like, I'm literally gonna be like Pippin in Lord of the Rings. Like, this, oh. my friend, 
is a pint. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be real nice. It's yeah. going to be very enjoyable. But yeah, well, I mean, download Brigida as well, and then she might get grumpy about how fast it goes down. So, <laughs> no, nah, but she'll be nah, she'll be down. She'll, I think I think she'll appreciate and understand. It'll be it'll be if it's the fourth or fifth we'll one. We'll drink the second one slower. If anyway. the fourth or fifth one goes down at the same speed as well, then yeah. that might be. Weird. It's only allowed to touch your lips three times. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's, that's the that's, that's the, the Guinness rule, drink. That's the Guinness way. <laughs> we'll apply to everything. Yeah, right yeah, 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 yeah. We'll just yeah. That's that's a flat rule across the board. All pints need to be drunk in three sips. That's it. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, Kieran, tell you long bottom, two truths and a lie. Kieran, let's shoot. Uh, Alright, so two truths and a lie. Um, so my nickname's Tugboat because of my ability to imperse, impersonate the, uh, the sound of a tugboat. Um, I play the, uh, the didgeridoo and I'm the first uh, West Australian Academy player to play for Western Force. Okay. So there are the three. Uh, his nickname's Tugboat because of that impersonation sound. He has got a big set of jowls on him, so he can get a good echo going on with our mouth. Uh, he plays the didgeridoo. He's got very nice lips. It's another mouth thing, isn't so, it? <laughs> yeah, it's all around the mouth. Yeah. Yeah. He's the, the first West Australian-born academy player to play for the Western Force. Those options will be up on the Rugby Rack Facebook page. Get on there and have a vote, and we'll see the answers next week. Kieran, thank you very much for coming on Tea Time with Tess. It was Kieran Longbottom taking Tea Time with Tess, and it's a great story for a young kid from Rockingham, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, he he is, you know, why the force, someone like him is why the force was created in the very first place, you know. He um, he was just a rugby lover over here. He he wanted to go and make the best of it at the time. When he was younger, he went over to the East Coast to, to try and have a crack at it. Had the opportunity to come back here as the force was born in its inception. And he's really, he's made every post a winner since then. And he, he talked about the Wallabies. How close was he? I'll jump in there. Like, listen, I, I coached, uh, had the three seasons at the force and, and you know, had the pleasure of, of coaching KL. And um, there was a year there where he, he was exceptionally close to cracking the Wallabies. Um, I think, and I know he's had a pretty injury-plagued career, but I'm pretty sure he picked up an injury that really knocked him out of being selected in a, you know, an extended group to start with. But he, he played some fantastic football and at that stage too had the ability to play loose head and tight head and um, was a really dynamic scrummager, really good round the field. And if things you know, possibly gone the different way, he would have been capped as a Wallaby five, six years ago. Yeah, and it's interesting to hear his story about, you know, he's obviously had a bit of a few challenges along the way too, Tess, like that foot injury of his where he was one minute thinking he's the top of the pops at Saracens, the next minute discarded, Sale pick, I think it was Sale that picked him up. Yeah, Sale they picked him up. discarded him, Saracen picked him up again. So he was thrown around like a two-bob watch there for a bit and, and, you know, all because of that foot injury, he just couldn't get the momentum that he was looking for playing-wise. Yeah, and that, I mean, that the Liz Frank injury, anyone who's kind of, familiar with it in sporting terms is like it it's a pretty horrible injury to have through your foot and especially for a front row just because the amount of force that we put through our feet when we're scrummaging especially is um is ridiculous and it's what it's what holds all of the basically the bones and that together through that forefoot down the front so that was why i mean he had some he had he had a lot of highs but yeah he had some he had some rough days as well while he was up in up in the uk and the northern hemisphere just at the point where he was, you know, he spent a lot of time in rehab and wasn't able to get it right. There was talk about whether or not he might have had to fuse his ankle, fuse his foot. So basically, you know, weld it all together, which would have meant the end of his career 
fortunately, like they were able to work around that. And as much as you know, whatever's happened with Saracens, they've they've run a very professional program. They were able to get him back to where he needed to be, getting back to a hundred percent. And um, yeah, a lot of the stuff that he learnt there with them is what he still puts into play to look after himself now. But also listening to that interview, Mick, um, he's got a lot of fond memories of his time with the force and coming mm. through. He talks very um, passionately about, you know, playing alongside guys like Hodjo and Sharpie and those sort of guys and what it meant to him. And also just the way he's able to relay those little intricate stories along the, along his journey and yeah. recall those things so well. And uh, I've never met a guy who sweated so much. He was <laughs> the king. He was the sweatiest guy I've ever seen. <laughs> Like he, like he touched on in the interview with his first job, trying to uh, trying to carry around plates of people's food in the middle of summer without <laughs> without without moistening them up too much. But I mean, you, you touched on it there, and it's it's great. I hope everyone that listens it comes through to them. Like Styles, you would have had the experience with him as well. Like Kieran is just passionate. Kieran is an absolute passionate human being with everything he throws himself into. Um, like he he loves big. He does everything big. He goes harder. He goes home with everything. So. I think we're pretty lucky to have him in the role of a tight head for someone like for a, for a pretty young um, forward pack, really or an inexperienced forward pack to have someone with like such a passion around everything they do and wanting to improve the guys around them. We're, we're pretty lucky to have him at the cornerstone there. The most disappointing thing about him not making the Wallabies is that John Wellborn still can go around saying that he's the first <laughs> and only homegrown Wallaby. So it would have been nice <laughs> to have some company. He was close to playing for England as well. Just like there was he a was. lot of there was a lot of chat about him. Yep. Uh, he was playing some really good football for, for um, Saris, and um, he was going to be picked in the English squad because he was eligible, for, I think, for a, a grandparent. And um, injury stopped him from debuting there. So yeah. you know, it'd be a great story through this through this competition if he came out and played really well and and scrummaged well. You need good tight heads, and, and um, to see him get an opportunity at the next level would be fantastic because of the person that he is you'd love to see yeah and he's been a great story and a great ambassador and a great role model for young kids in Perth to know that they can go from playing their club footy through to super rugby and then travel overseas which is one of the great things about rugby and play professionally overseas so he's um he's a great story and it's great that he's still around well, look that'll do us for tonight Tess what are your plans during the week with your training everything amping up yeah, everything's going up pretty rapidly yeah so uh Yesterday, just spent today trying to recover from those two words that I keep talking about: impact conditioning. They're no good when they go together. They're not. They're not really any good. They're not really good apart. But when they're paired up together, it doesn't make for a fun afternoon. How's the throwing going? More importantly, Tess. I'm in a very good spot, Stolzy. Ever since you've left me, beautiful. Like, <laughs> Keep them straight. That's Mitch, it. Inside shoulder. Inside shoulder, mate. Mitch, good to catch up with you again. Yeah, absolutely, Mick. I uh, digested those Rugby Australia accounts the other day. That was that was an interesting read when they got circulated. So, um, and it's good to good to hear that they got the Fox Sports deal done, and uh, we can look forward to to uh, starting to lock in you know our calendars when those games are on and watch a bit of rugby. And obviously, we've got the New Zealand comp Kiwis kicking this off week. this weekend, mate. I'm I'm going to be uh, glued to the TV watching the Kiwis go around. That should be good fun. Yeah, and just it's interesting, an article came out this afternoon by Georgina Robinson just about there's a, an American firm, Kohlberg, Kravis, Roberts, I think it is, and they're in some in negotiations with uh, Rugby Australia in collaboration with the Rebels about taking a stake in rugby worth hundreds of millions of dollars, according to people. And that my question is, does that mean if that does come off, 
does that mean the CEO of Australian rugby will now be on five million a year and community rugby will still get three and a half? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, the corporate overhead costs will keep going up. <laughs> it will. And Stalzy, mate, thanks very much for your time. Enjoy the rest of your sabbatical. No, definitely. It's been, been good to have a chat, uh, you know, when we bump into each other at Huckabar Skiing and that <laughs> random shop you bump into the Collis is the last place you, you expect to see uh, the mighty Mick and Shaz Collis. Yeah, so mate, all the best and, and I hope the Kintetsu Lions, hope you go, well, I hope you enjoy your, your time up in, in the big league when it finally does get underway, but thanks again for your time and all the best with everything. No, good to see you boys. Thanks for yeah. having me. And thanks for having me for listening and we'll catch you next week on the Rugby Wrap. <laughs>